uh, for those who don't know you, uh, can you just share a little bit about yourself? Yes. Really quick bio. Yes. My name is Jakob, and uh, I have lived here in Gothenburg since 2007. I'm uh, married to Raquel, or Rachel, uh, and we have three little kids. We only brought one today. Uh, they are two, uh, four, and eight, and they are all adopted from Taiwan. And I'm very proud of them. Uh, I also I work professionally for a company called Ad Phoenix, uh, and uh, I work with recruiting there, and I like that very very much. So, a little bit about myself. I live in, or we live in Angered in the outskirts of Gothenburg, and we are enjoying it there. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so, can you first of all just tell us a little bit about your journey to faith in God, and how that looked in your life? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I have always believed in God in a general sense, I think. And I was brought up in a family where at least my mom was a very devout Christian. Uh, and that made a mark on me. But uh, as I grew older, I started to realize that uh, this is not uh, the worldview that everyone has. There are people not believing in God. There are people who believe in other types of gods. And I started to think about these things. And then in the... In the Swedish church and also some other traditions, there is something called confirmation, where you study the Bible a little bit more when you are like 13, 14 years. And I did that together with a group of uh, people in, in the church where uh, my mom and um, attended. Uh, and at that time, when I read about Jesus, who he is and what he has done, um, I started to, to realize more and more that I... I think I believe this. I think this is something that is actually a faith that I can own myself, not just something I inherit from my mom. Uh, and coupled with that was also that uh, we went on a, uh, a camp similar to what we will do next weekend. And uh, during that camp, uh, someone was preaching the gospel about Jesus who died for our sins uh, because he loves us so much. And he was raised from the dead and he offers uh, forgiveness and life and community with God to everyone who believes. Uh, then I realized that I really, really believed this. And also I had this encounter with God. There was this personal and powerful experience with God, which I hadn't really experienced before. So something changed that night. I knew I was a new person. Uh, there was like this light ha had clicked in my, in my heart. And I remember... Uh, sitting at uh, a couple of stairs outside uh, in the summer after that night and I I looked up at the stars and I could see the stars in a new light and I saw that and I thought that the God who created the stars he is my God he loves me and also through faith in Jesus he lives inside of me by his spirit and that was this overwhelming uh, realization that I had and that was a journey that started when I was 13 years old, and that has continued from, from then, I can say. Wow. So, an incredible story about how you've come to faith in God, and that started at a really, really young age. Um, but then you shared with me that in 2006, something happened in your life, and it was um, quite a big challenge. So, can you tell us what that was? Yeah, so, uh, in 2006, I started to have some um, health issues. I um, I lost a lot of weight. Uh, I um, 
I was sweating at night, uh, so I had to flip my pillow around several, several times during the night because it was so wet. Um, I had fever, headache, a lot of things that, that happened. And it sort of culminated with me having this extreme pain in my back. Uh, and uh, my uh, neighbor uh, offered to, to take me to the hospital, to the emergency room, and I came there. And um, not long after that, uh, we were uh, having this meeting, me and my wife, with the, with the doctor. And we thought it was maybe, they said that it could be mycoplasma, it's called in Swedish, it's like pneumonia, I think. Um, and uh, there were some other theories what it was that I had. But when I sat down uh, uh, waiting for the doctor and he came in, I saw that he was very, very serious. He had a serious outlook. And then he immediately just looked me in the eyes and said that you have uh, lymphoma, Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is a form of cancer. And I was 27 years at that time, and that was a total shock to me. Not at all something that I or my wife could have ever, ever imagined would happen to us. And uh, so they did some more tests and, uh, uh, to, to, to make sure that uh, the diagnosis was correct. Uh, and they confirmed that it was. And uh, then, uh, actually, I had tumors in a large part of my torso. So between my lungs... Uh, on uh, backbone, on the marrow, bone marrow as well, on my mielte, I don't know what it is in, in English, but it's basically a lot of the glands uh, inside my body, uh, lymph uh were affected by, by this cancer. Uh, so I had uh, quite severe treatment, very aggressive treatment of chemotherapy, um, which was very hard. Obviously, we've all heard these horror stories of chemotherapy. And it was hard on me, but it was uh, maybe even more hard on my wife. Because uh, you experience things yourself and you can handle that. But when you're walking next to someone, you feel that you are so powerless. There's nothing you can do. You just want everything to be the best for, for someone you love. Um, but at the same time, we saw so much of God's love in this very dark hour in our lives. And um, I had amazing treatment and there were some breakthroughs in, in this, uh, the research and science that had been done that I could benefit from during that time. And, uh, but at the same time, a lot of people were praying uh, for me in Sweden, but also in, in many other countries. The, the rumors spread and friends and friends of friends, they were praying to God, our almighty God, who loves us, who wants to intervene in our lives, uh, that I would be healed. Um, so in the middle of that treatment, um, uh, they did a, a, I think it was a PET scan. Um, they drove a, a big truck from the Netherlands to the hospital in in, uh, in Örebro, where we lived at, at the time. And they did this scan uh, all through my body. And then, uh, not long after that, uh, I was awaiting the response from the doctor to say how, how it had gone. Because you don't know when you get the treatment, will it work, will it not work? Uh, and then the doctor said that, uh, well, this is quite remarkable, but there is it's no trace left of cancer. There were many tumors before, but there's no trace left. And we were just in the middle of the treatment. I had, had, have had three rounds of chemotherapy, but 
uh, it was all gone in the middle of it. And uh, that was uh, a great relief, of course. And I know that's not uh, the story for everyone. Even if you're a believer, even if you're a Christian, that's not the story of everyone. People are defeated by this enemy, cancer and death. Uh, every day it happens in our lives, uh, in our world. Uh, but what I, what was most encouraging to me was not only that I was cured from this cancer. That was, of course, amazing relief. Uh, but it was the, the experience that I had of God's love and power and comfort and hope in the middle of that. I remember when I was a kid, I, I was so afraid of dying. You can be afraid of dying for several different reasons. You can be afraid of this nothingness, that there will be this emptiness. Or you could be afraid because actually we will have to give an account before our creator one day. And that can be a scary thing because uh, we all know that we have done things that we're not proud of. And I was so afraid of dying when I was a kid. So I was sitting one day when we had dinner at home and I was crying and sobbing and I was maybe four years old and I, my mom asked me, what's wrong? And I said, I'm, I'm so afraid of dying, I'm so afraid of dying. But now when I walked through this cancer treatment, I knew that I'd, it, it would, it's possible that I would actually die. Uh, 10 out of 10 people die and that, this might be my time. But you know what? I was not afraid at all. I remember I was in the hospital looking at a documentary and it was a little bit weird, but it was about death. It was what came on. And then I was reminded about something that Jesus said to a woman who had just lost her brother. And this was a, was a friend of Jesus's. And this woman named Martha, she had just lost her brother. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Jesus asked this woman. And I, I could respond with, yes, I believe this. And this is my comfort in life and death. That I'm not my own, but I belong to him. Um, and God met with me in powerful ways also. Uh, I, I remember lying in the hospital, sorry for expanding a little bit, but I'm passionate about this, and this was a remarkable encounter I had with God. I was lying in the hospital room one night, um, and at that time I didn't know what would happen with me. But I plugged in headphones in, um, in my ears, and I started to, to listen to worship music, similar music that we sang this morning. And when I did, it was like, we sang in a song that, Jesus brought heaven down. <laughs> and that was happened to me. Heaven came down in the hospital room and it was just an electrifying uh, atmosphere of God's love and presence in that room. I could, just, I could touch on it. It was, it was tangible. And I was so happy. <laughs> I was so full of joy, not because I had cancer, but because I could feel God's presence and God's love with me. Uh, in that dark hour, and I was just crying and sobbing like a child because I had this amazing experience and I had this amazing hope that no matter what, no matter what happens, I know that God is my security. Yeah. Wow. Um, 
Thank you so much for sharing your story. Uh, absolutely amazing to hear just how God can come into the darkest places of our life and just really be so present with us and give us that comfort and that security. Um, I'm going to actually hand it over to Josh now. Yeah. And uh, we're going to hear a little bit more about this theme. But thank you so much, Jakob, for sharing. It's great. Super. Thank you, Jakob, for sharing. It's, it's amazing that God, the creator God, is with us. And you can know him so powerfully in the darkest of days. And I just want to start with a question. And the question is this. How can Jesus impact someone's life today? How can God, Jesus, impact someone's life today? Now, Jesus, as a man, lived 2,000 years ago. There is very few people that disagree with that. Historians, top historians, all the top historians will say, Jesus was a man who lived. A man who walked, a man who talked, a man who ate. He was a man. But the question I'm asking is this. How can Jesus impact someone's life like Jacob's today? And it all started when two ladies visited a tomb. We're going to read a short story from the Bible. Uh, It's going to be on the screen, hopefully, in a minute. And it is from a book called Mark in the New Testament of the Bible. Mark 16. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so they could embalm him. Very early on Sunday morning, as the sun rose, they went to the tomb. They worried out loud to each other, who will roll back the stone from the tomb for us. Then they looked up, saw that it had been rolled back. It was a huge stone, and they walked straight in. They saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed all in white. They were completely taken aback. They were astonished. He said, do not be afraid. I know you're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, the one they nailed on the cross. He has been raised up. He is here no longer. You can see for yourselves that the place is empty. Some of Jesus' closest friends go to visit the tomb where their friend's son is lying, crucified, killed a few days before. And when they get there, Tomb empty. Jesus was gone. I wonder what it is about Christianity 
you like. Perhaps it's the teachings of Jesus, the way that he spoke about loving the poor, or marriage, or loving your neighbour. I wonder what teachings of Christianity, what teachings of Jesus you don't like. Views on sexuality, views on the poor. Loving your enemies, it's difficult. I want whatever your thoughts of these questions, the things you like and the things that you don't like, to be put aside for the next ten minutes. Because there is one question in Christianity that makes all the difference. One question. Everything else doesn't matter if this question isn't answered positively. Nothing else matters. And the question is this. Was the tomb empty? Was Jesus alive? Because if he wasn't alive, if the tomb wasn't empty, if there had been some sort of mistake, then everything he said, everything he spoke, everything he talked about, you can forget. Because he said that he was God. He said that he would rise again. But if he's dead, then you can ignore everything else. He was obviously just a crazy guy, quite influential, got a few followers. You can ignore everything else if he is still dead, if he is still in the tomb. But if he is alive, if the tomb is empty, then that changes everything. Because everything he said, we can understand to be true. Because perhaps he was God. So was the tomb empty? There's a leading biblical scholar, someone who studies the Bible, who's not a Christian, uh, but he studies the Bible, it's his job. And this is what he says when looking at the claim of the empty tomb. He says this, yes, the tomb was empty. Yes, Jesus appeared to a bunch of people. And probably the best explanation of that would be Jesus is alive. But we know miracles are impossible. So we have to find another explanation. It looks like Jesus is alive. The tomb was empty. He saw loads of people. But we know miracles are impossible. We have to find another explanation. So I put it again. Was the tomb empty? Where was the body? And people have tried to explain this one away. There's different explanations that people have said. So, for example, one would be, well, Jesus didn't die on the cross. The, the beating that he went through, the crucifixion on a cross where they would nail his feet to a wooden stick. The, when the Roman guards pierced with, a, with like a big stick his heart and his lungs, when they did that, he survived it all. And then in the tomb, stayed for a few days, and was revived. So he didn't die. He was just really badly injured. And then he woke up, and he rolled this big stone that covered the tomb out of the way. This is a stone that weighed the weight of a car. He rolled out of the way, 
then beat up, and then he fought two Roman soldiers who were guarding, probably the best soldiers that they had guarding this important man, beat them, no problems, and then he went around the country for five weeks talking to people about him being raised to life, and this is my body of resurrection, this is, my, this is what you can expect. Doesn't seem very likely that he didn't die. Jesus died. They, they, they checked that as they drove the spear into his heart and his lungs. That's one explanation people give. Another explanation is that the authorities stole the body. The very men that put him on the cross, the very men that killed him because of what he claimed. He claimed to be God. He said, I am God. And so they killed him for it because people were starting to listen. People were starting to follow. And so they killed him. And but some people would say, but no, the authorities, the Jewish authorities, they stole the body for some reason. But as Christianity grew and grew and grew because of rumours of the empty tomb, because of rumours of Jesus' resurrection, well, if the authorities had taken the body, all they'd have needed to do was say, Christianity is rubbish. Here he is. He's not alive. He's dead. Here is his body. doesn't really make much sense. Others would say, well, what about the followers? Perhaps his early followers stole his body. They knew that he was teaching about being brought back to life, being resurrected. They knew he was teaching about that, and he died. And so they took the body and said, it was all true. The reality of a bunch of followers carrying that sort of lie for all their life, and in fact, a few of them got killed because of that lie, it's very unlikely. It may be easy to hold a lie for a week, a month, but a lifetime, and to hold it so closely that when someone says, I will kill you if you do not renounce Jesus, I will kill you if you don't say that you don't believe in Jesus, they say, okay, we'll go to death. doesn't seem very likely. Others would say things like, well, the, you know, the women, the people who were visiting, they just went to the wrong tomb. Just... The explanations aren't great. So we need to ask ourselves, was the tomb empty? Where was Jesus? But anyway, if Jesus was alive, why does that matter? How does that affect us today in this room, in this city, in this nation? Why does that matter? To explain this, I want to introduce a man called Barabbas. Barabbas was a man who lived the same time as Jesus lived. And he was not a very nice man. In fact, he was a murderer. He was a very bad man. And because of his mistakes in his life, he had been punished with the penalty of death. Barabbas was in prison awaiting death because he is a murderer. And as Barabbas is waiting this horrific death that is literally just around the corner, is coming up. Another man also comes into the area, to the prison cell, comes on trial. His name, Jesus. Jesus was a man who loved, a man who cared, a man who did no wrong, but he was put on trial 
because people wanted him dead because of his claims. Now this man, he's being questioned. Jesus is on trial. He's being questioned by the authorities. They're saying, what's wrong? Like, we're trying to find, like, what have you done? Jesus stays quiet. What have you done? Romans, the authorities, they say, we can't find anything wrong with this guy. He's innocent. Three times, he's innocent, he's innocent, he's innocent. I can't find anything wrong with this Jesus guy. But he has outside the door of the court or the prison cell or whatever it would have been, there's people, we want him dead. Crucify him. We want him dead. And so the Roman authorities have a problem. On one hand, they have Jesus, an innocent man who's on trial. On the other hand, they have all these people outside wanting him dead. Do you satisfy the crowd or do you satisfy law? Innocent man, crazy crowd. And so the authorities ask the crowd a question. They have the idea. This time of year, it's a festival. And every year, there's a tradition at the festival. We release a prisoner. And so we can do that this year. We can release either Jesus or Barabbas. That will solve the problem because the crowd, I mean, they probably want him dead, but they definitely don't want a murderer amongst them. So we'll just ask the crowd. Jesus or Barabbas, they ask to the crowd. Barabbas. Yeah, yeah. We want Barabbas. Barabbas. Everyone cries for Barabbas, the murderer, the criminal. Jesus, the innocent one, the one that has only ever loved, takes Barabbas' place. Barabbas that day walks out free. He was going to his death. He is then released and walks out free as Jesus, the innocent man, takes his place. Jesus and Barabbas swap places. And again, you might be thinking, another interesting story, but like the resurrection, I don't really get, what has that got to do with me? What has that got to do with Jakob, with Gothenburg, with where I live, with my family? What's that got to do? Well, the Bible says this, that we can know God. We can know God right now. Right today, you can know God. You can know the God that was with Jakob in his most difficult days. You can know the God that literally millions of people around the world are celebrating today. You can know him. That's what the Bible says. Everyone can. Anyone can. Doesn't matter what you've done, what you haven't done, anyone can know God. And not just now, but forever. In a place, one day, of perfection. Where there's no pain, there's no suffering. And I've got that represented by this first vase of water. A place where there is no suffering, where there is no tears, where there is is not even death. So we can know God now and walk with him through life. And then when life ends, it's actually only the very beginning of knowing a God who loves, a God who is perfect. It's what the Bible says. It says we can know him. But it says he's perfect. And the Bible also says this, we are not perfect. In fact, it says this, all, all, everyone, 
has fallen short of the glory of God. No one's going to make it up to God's standards. No one. He is perfect. We are not perfect. Represented by this black food colouring. We're not perfect. We've all made mistakes. We've all lived lives where we think, no, do you know what, we tried to live a really good life, but actually, if we really think about it, I've got some regrets. And even, even if we hadn't made any mistakes, we're going to make mistakes. Because no one can live a perfect life. No one can get to God's standards. Because he's perfect. We're not. We've become our own God. God has said, do this. And we have said, no, 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 we want to do this. God has said, please me. We have said, no, 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 we want to please ourselves. Now, God is a good God. He only wants us to do good things. But we, in our strange, sinful, confused lives, think, no, 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 he's just putting loads of rules. Actually, God is a loving father. And we've walked away from God. We've separated ourselves from God. The Bible calls it sin. And they can't mix. You see, if sin goes into perfection, what happens to perfection? Lovely. Perfection is no longer perfect. Imperfect cannot go into perfect. Sinful cannot go into sinless. What happens is that the perfect then becomes imperfect. We cannot know God. Because if we, get, if we let, know God as we are, then he's no longer perfect. Heaven with us in will become imperfect. Because we'll be in it as we are. We'll bring in our sin. We'll bring in the desires to be ourselves. Our own God. And so God says this, you can know me, but you're not welcome as you are because you'll destroy what I have. And like Barabbas, no matter how good we are or promise to be in the future, it's not good enough. We just can't keep it up. Barabbas might have had a great change of heart and thought, you know what, I'm going to be a nice guy from now on. But actually he had problems in his past that needed punishment, that deserved consequence. We all understand that. We need something else. We need a substitution. Step forward, Jesus. The innocent man. The man who was put on trial. The man who the crowd said, well, didn't say, give us Jesus. They said, give us Barabbas. The man who took the place of Barabbas. Jesus was a man who did live up to God's standards, lived a perfect life, like this water. As he goes in, still perfect, because he's perfect. Jesus and God, they're together, they're one. But Jesus says this, He says, like Barabbas, I will take your mistakes, I'll take your sins, and I'll give you 
my perfection. I will give you my perfection. And so, you can know God. You can be part of God's family. You can know God forever. Why? Because Jesus has taken your sin, your mistakes, the suffering that you have caused to others, to yourself, for now, past, present, future. He's taken it and he's given you his perfection. It's the great substitution. It's the great swap. It's incredible news. Jesus dealt with sin, with God's righteous anger towards sin, with God's righteous anger towards our mistakes. We said, no, God. We said, we don't want anything to do with you. God dealt with his anger towards sin through Jesus, through his death and his resurrection on the cross. And because the grave is empty, we can know God. He defeated death. He defeated sin so that we can be known by God. So this great substitution. So that just as we are, all the mistakes we've made, all the mistakes we will make can be given to Jesus. And he says, you have my righteousness. You have my goodness. Barabbas accepted his freedom that day. You sort of wonder, what did Barabbas do? We don't read about it. Did he stay to watch the man who took his place, put up on the cross, killed for him? Did he stay? Or did he just go, blah, who cares? We don't know. But Barabbas did accept his freedom. Will you accept your freedom this morning? God has got this call of freedom over all of our lives. And it's this call, it's amazing. It's whatever mistakes you have made, whatever you've done, can be forgiven. You can be welcomed in. You can know me in the darkest days. You can have this support that nothing else gives. Not money, not family, not friends, not job. Nothing gives this support. You can know God. You don't deserve it. Jesus deserves it. But he's given you access through his death, through his resurrection. You can know God. There was a boy who loved his father. He was very proud of his father. His father travelled the world, helping people, telling people about Jesus, helping churches. And one day his father told him a story that was the best story he had ever heard. Because his father was out travelling, as he often did. And he saw a man in front of him drop dead. And his father told his son this. I went up to the man with some friends. One friend was a doctor. We tried to help him. He was obviously dead. The doctor said, there's not so much we can do apart from wait for the ambulance. And so his father said this. But you know what? I thought, in the Bible we read, if you pray, maybe something amazing will happen. So, let's pray. And the man came back to life. When the boy heard this story, he was amazed. (coughs) My father prayed and someone came back to life. What an incredible story. And so the boy waited for his moment to tell all his friends about his amazing daddy. And the day came in a classroom when the teacher 
said, sat all the kids down, they're all about eight years old, sat them all down and said, now we're going to have a chance to tell each other about amazing things that have happened. So it may be a holiday, maybe something you've been given. And one by one, kids went up and said, oh, I went on an amazing holiday. And then sat down to polite round of applause. And the next one came up, I got given a crocodile just now. It sat down, outrageous stories, amazing stories. Everyone was having the time of their lives. And then it was this boy's turn. He stood up, a little bit nervous, a little bit shaky. He was like, I'm going to tell everyone about my amazing daddy. And so I said, so he said, I have an amazing daddy. And he prayed for someone who was dead. And the teacher looked and thought, this is, this is not what, this is, we should be talking about good things, not death. The teacher, any teachers amongst us would probably understand this is the time that you start getting nervous. Don't talk about death. But, the little boy said, my daddy prayed for him and he, just, he, he got better. As soon as he said that, instead of the classroom filled with laughter, the teacher looked down and said, what are you talking about, little boy? Those things don't happen. We don't believe in miracles. That little boy went to sit down with his It was a tough experience. And it's one of a few that I had as a student that changed the next 10 years of my life, I believe. There's a few times I had an experience when people laughed at me in a public setting. And what it did, it made me become insecure. And if you know anything about schools and kids, if you have an insecure child, it's not a great place to be in a school. And so I decided, instead of having people laugh at me, I will have people laugh with me. And so I went from this, like, nice little, my daddy's amazing, to someone who literally, again, any teachers in here, I would have been your worst nightmare. And that is not an exaggeration. I went away with schools. I, I would have been your worst nightmare, literally. The headmaster, the principal, sat me down in his office. He said, you're the worst student I've had in 21 years. An experience when I was so young, or a few experiences, I've got others, changed the next 10 years. Ruined me as a person for a good number of years. Until one day in Mexico, when my family took us away for a family holiday. And I went to church. And in church, I saw something. I saw people talking about a God who loves, a God who forgives, a God who accepts. And I looked back on my life and thought, really? Someone who has been so horrible, he can accept, he can love, he can forgive. And I decided that if that God was real, I wanted to invite him into my life. I wanted to say, God, I want your goodness. I want to give you my bad. I want your perfection. I've made lots of mistakes. 
I want to give them to you. And that morning at that church service, I experienced God. A different experience to all those years before. This was an experience not of shame and embarrassment, but an experience of love. Now, I grew up in a loving family. I had never experienced love like it. I grew up in a forgiving family. I had never experienced forgiveness like it. I was completely washed clear. Completely. I just felt so fresh, so new. I experienced God. Jesus was with Jacob. God was with Jacob in his most difficult times. He's with him now. Jesus met me in Mexico. How? Because the grave is empty. Because Jesus is alive. This is the reality of Easter. Jesus is alive. He can be known. You can know him. Just like I did. Just like I do. Just like we do. You can know him. His forgiveness is real. His acceptance is real. His love is real. This is God. Ali, can I invite you up, please? How does Easter affect us? The innocent one swapped for the guilty one. Jesus for Barabbas. And all we need to do, all we need to do is to take the gift, to say yes, and welcome him in. And so what we're going to do, we're going to sing a song. I really want to encourage you to sing with us, stand up. And as we sing, uh, halfway through, I'm going to say a short prayer. Uh, just like one that I prayed all those years ago in Mexico when I accepted God's forgiveness, when I accepted his love. Um, and we'll say that. And if you want to say that prayer, but perhaps you've not said that prayer before, if you want to say that, please do say that. And welcome him into your life. God is alive. Jesus is alive. He defeated death in the grave. It is now empty. So we're going to sing. I'll hand over to Alad. Loaded by sorrow and dead by sin.